What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 12 episode of the DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my co-host, Matt Savoka. If you are new to the DFS MVP, every week we go over our favorite values on FanDuel and DraftKings and then cover a theory topic ranging from the macro to the micro. This week, we're going to be talking about deciphering signal versus noise, just talking about um, understanding stats, coach coach speak um how to figure out what we're trying to figure out every week before we get into it this week make sure you're checking out our other dfs shows every monday at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time here on youtube matt and i do a cash game review looking at our lineups from the previous day every saturday yahoo dfs values with matt Harmon of yahoo fantasy football that comes out on the dfs mvp feed as well as the yahoo fantasy sports feed and Sunday mornings, DFS GPP Last Look Show with Jordan Vanek on our subscriber-only Discord channel. Make sure you get signed up for that uh, in the description below. And if you don't have access to 4 for 4 yet, we have a deal going on this week. Black Friday through Cyber Monday, you could access 4 for 4 for as little as $4.44. The DFS plan is available for just $14, so make sure you get signed up for that by the end of Cyber Monday, the best deal of the year. We go through Super Bowl with DFS content, so get going on that. And today's show is brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all of your favorite teams, players, and sports from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport we have what you need to win sign up today to receive a special offer a risk-free one thousand dollar sports bet download the win bet app now use the promo code four for four that's the number four fr the number four to claim your risk-free bet matt welcome to uh week 12 uh it feels like the second week 12 we've had after the thanksgiving slate uh how you doing bud (laughs) I'm doing really well. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you guys listening yeah. and watching today. And uh, yeah, it's almost two slates in one week, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. I would just like to give thanks for the Hockey Lee family for so many generations, <laughs> really, of being on my television on Thanksgiving. First, Ed, now Sean. You know, yeah. refs not not involved at all in that Thanksgiving slate. But as Bill Belichick would say, we're on to Cincinnati, and that is this Sunday main slate. Should be a good one. But uh, as we were talking about earlier, a little bit of an ugly turn to this slate. I don't know. It just doesn't feel – feels a little iffy, a little icky. Yeah, we only have um, 10 games on the slate, obviously, with the three Thanksgiving uh, games. And then uh, really low-scoring slate. Uh, uh, no team is projected for more than 28 points. We don't have any huge favorites. Um, only one touchdown favorite and no spread higher than that. So low-scoring, close games, not a lot of star power on the slate. Uh, but these are – I actually like these slates. I, I think it's um, – it's really hard for people to make decisions. Casual players can't just look at the the big names and, and click. I mean, there's there's a couple like Tom Brady and whatnot, but it's not um, it's not glaringly obvious what the top plays are uh, on slates like this. And I, I think that really does benefit uh, DFS players that that are of, of a higher higher skill level. So hopefully, that includes us and the listeners. Let's get into uh, the quarterbacks and who you're looking at at quarterback this week. Yeah, we'll go right into quarterback. Sorry, we got a dog barking in the background right. just as I start talking about Justin Herbert. Do people realize that the guy went for 380 passing yards, three touchdowns, and 90 rush yards on the ground? <laughs> I mean, that's insane. The guy has 300 yeah. yards passing or three total touchdowns or both in 70% of his games started. You know, we talk about Mahomes being the darling of the AFC and Lamar Jackson being right on his tail. Uh, for the next decade of quarterback play in the AFC. I think Justin Herbert has made a case this year for being in that conversation. He's number one in player profilers version of expected points added, top 12 in adjusted yards per attempt and catchable pass rate in money throws. And at 39.5 passes per game, he's at that level where if he's just remotely efficient, he's going to have solid games regardless of matchup. And that's really the only concern here, right? The Denver defense is still pretty strong in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. They're one of the top five defenses in the NFL right now. But right now I'm looking at an offense in the Chargers who are the fourth fastest in pace. 
the third lowest in game script adjusted rush rate, which means they're the third fastest in or third uh, pass heaviest Mm -hmm. in that pass rate. That's an Osmo.com metric for you. And then Denver is closer to league average in yards per pass attempt over their last three games and they're fifth in points per play, but they're sliding over the last three games. So that's just enough for me where, again, as you said, in this ugly slate, we just got to try to find the best plays. And that's often just the best players. Justin Herbert's in that conversation every week. Yeah, this is um, the the Chargers throw at at a top four rate in neutral game script. And this is actually something that we'll probably talk about in the theory segment uh, a bit. Like the matchup is tough, but it's not one of these elite outlier matchups that you um, you need to just automatically avoid. Like Denver's barely in the top 10 in, in fantasy points per pass attempt allowed, which is good, like being in the top 10, obviously, but they're not like at the level of a, of a New England or a Buffalo or something like that. So I, I don't think that this is a matchup that you generally shy away from because of, of how the Chargers play and how efficient Herbert has been. Um, and, and I mean, I think this is a game where uh, obviously Keenan Allen uh, is going to be the target hog, but I, I think... Uh, Mike Williams could actually get a little bit loose in this game. Denver has allowed some some deep um, touchdowns to be uh, had against them, so I, I like Herbert here. Yeah, I do too. And actually, someone asked in the chat a little a question that does relate to this. If you are playing a Justin Herbert uh, stack, then Jerry Judy becomes much more interesting of a play for me. As yeah. a one-off, not so much. Yeah. I don't have to target this game, but I do think I can target the, the player in Herbert and certainly his number one option in Allen as well. Yeah, go, I mean, going back to to the note that we made up top about the um, the relatively low scoring week. If if you have a read on a game, I don't think um, I, I think this is the type of game. Even though these two teams aren't going to stand out on a normal slate, if if you like this game, I think it's um, you could definitely stack this game. And I, I think some people, I, I know this is kind of like a a GPP idea. This might be a week where people say, well, nobody's going to be super high scoring. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily want a game stack because uh, nothing really stands out. I think it actually makes way more sense to game stack a little bit more in weeks like this because if you do find the game that hits, uh, you have a, a much better chance of gaining on the field than when we do have teams with, you know, 30, 32 point implied point totals. If you game stack not that game, you could still uh, get caught. So I, I actually like the idea of, of stacking. And, and going on to that point of the... Uh, lower scoring week the 49ers have an implied point total of 26 points and that's the second highest total um, on the slate again doesn't usually sound that high but this week it is it is a pretty high point total and that makes really their whole offense stand out against minnesota but jimmy garoppolo is really underpriced um 6500 on fanduel 5700 on DraftKings, and it's easy to dismiss Jimmy G because uh, we have kind of seen the the 49ers passing offense be a little underwhelming this year, and they do run at one of the highest rates in the league. But this team is a little bit different now that they, they really don't have a sample of Jimmy Garoppolo with uh, Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo all healthy. Even going back to last year, I think they might have only had like one game where all of those players played over 90% of the snaps. Now we have three games in a row where – Ayuk, Kittle, and Debo are all playing a significant role. In that span, Jimmy Garoppolo has averaged 0.77 fantasy points per pass attempt. That's like a pace that would be leading the league. Now, I don't think he necessarily maintains that, but we've seen that he can have extremely high efficiency with this trio in there. Um, I like that they're playing against this Minnesota passing defense that is 27th in schedule adjusted fantasy points per pass attempt against quarterbacks. And this is an offense, the the Minnesota team, offense and defense, where points correlate very highly with how Minnesota plays. I talked about this last week on a couple of shows and, and in some articles that I was targeting Minnesota and Green Bay, especially in tournaments, because Minnesota is going to push the other team and uh, their defense is such that if they do start scoring on offense, their defense can uh, have a really hard time holding leads. And, and we saw that last week, very back and forth. And with Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners being very efficient in recent weeks, even if they do run quite a bit, I do think Jimmy could still get there on efficiency. And he's just, he's so underpriced relative to the upside in this matchup uh, that I think, um, especially on FanDuel, on DraftKings, there's a lot of guys that are under 6K, but especially on FanDuel, I think he's still cash viable. Oh, huge agree here. Both sites, I think he's cash viable. 
And this game environment really, really appetizing, especially to me. As we said, not a lot of huge implied totals, but there are only a few games that have high, high enough totals where you know they even stand out from the others. Obviously, yeah. the Indy and Tampa Bay game at 53, uh, a 53 point total right now, but then this San Francisco Minnesota game sitting there at 49 looks really appealing when you see that the the rest of the, the games are at 47 and below right. right now. And so I'm certainly looking at both offenses kind of pushing the pace in this game. Uh, and Minnesota's defense has not been good over the last couple of weeks. Bottom 10 in yards per pass attempt allowed and in points per play allowed as well. Yeah. And again, on, on the Jimmy G point, specifically on FanDuel, um, I think the priority this week is going to be on some very high salary running backs and wide receivers without those elite quarterbacks on the slate. I, I think what you might give up with Jimmy and some floor to some of the rushing guys um, like Jalen Hurts or Cam Newton or something, you're, what you save in salary and chasing that touchdown ceiling, um, I, I think it is worth it this week to just to pay down when we don't have all those um, elite passers. Uh, moving on to running backs, actually staying in that game with the guy that you like. But before we get there, uh, we still don't have certainty on Aaron Jones' availability. He was practicing um, Friday, recording this Saturday. Probably won't know if he's playing for sure till tomorrow. But if he's out, A.J. Dillon is going to be one of our best values. But since we don't know, uh, we've left A.J. Dillon out. But uh, for now, with what we do know, running back that you like in that 49ers game. Yeah, this is the one I'm going up for if I'm not going to the absolute elite tier. Obviously, yeah. no one's going to stop you from playing Jonathan Taylor or right. Christian McCaffrey in any type of game that you're talking about, cash or tournament. But I really like Dalvin Cook sitting at 8100 yeah. coincidentally, on both sites, the same exact salary. I had to double check that. Yeah. 26 and 29 opportunities in his last two games. He's now third in opportunity share this season six in red zone touches and San Francisco defense is kind of lowering its his salary because they're just 10 points away from the league average in a schedule adjusted fantasy points. That's why I always talk about just at league average or right below league average because the specific number is actually less important when it's not at the extremes. Right. So in this case, I, I don't, I'm not scared of the San Francisco defense, even though my perception based on the metrics is that they're probably a little above average. Regardless, if the goal line conversion for Dalvin Cook is better this year, the perception of his season is entirely different. So yeah. yes, it's subpar, but his breakaway mm -hmm. run rate, his ability to just break runs is the same exact as it's always been. He's sixth in that rate and he's seventh in total evaded tackles. Same exact player as we've always seen when healthy. So the concern is less about defense than the, just the run-oriented nature of both teams. We just talked about the game environment being solid. The only concern I'd have and the way that this game hits the under is that both teams end up just running the ball yeah. well, lowering the amount of plays and... You know Shanahan and Zimmer don't care about playing some sort of playoff-style, defensive, run-it-out slog if that's the way the game goes. I don't think that's the most likely outcome here, but certainly if that's the kind of game, then Dalvin Cook is going to be a smash. Yeah, and going back, like my point about the the teams uh, correlating or Minnesota correlating with opposing offenses quite a bit. I mean, that's something that people are typically going to think about the passing games, think about stacking. But when those offenses are moving efficiently and and giving you a lot of scoring opportunities, I mean, that obviously helps the running back. Like Dalvin, like you said, he's he hasn't got the touchdowns that um, that that we would hope for, but the usage is still there, the upside is still there, the offense is still um, moving quite efficiently at times so Dalvin's workload is one that's going to translate to, to big fantasy days and he just hasn't been on that um like in that top tier discussion because he isn't getting touchdowns but still almost 25 touches per game over over the last um six weeks of the games he's been active so I mean the the usage is is plenty elite and you are still getting like the the discount on both sides from CMC and, and Jonathan Taylor is um it, the gap is way bigger than the actual usage gap. Yeah, and you really need that value this week because we don't yeah. have any free squares. That's what yeah. we're talking about, the pay down options. This is very different than a couple of weeks ago when we were saying the premium quarterbacks give you such an advantage. Yeah. You got to get to them, especially with the value we have at the other sites. That is not the slate we're looking at right now. 
Yeah, and um, and because of that, the the value that you're discussing and, and the difficulty of finding these um, value plays outside of of Dalvin, CMC, and Taylor, uh, we don't really have a lot of mutual values on both sides. Like the the pricing is pretty unique this week that you don't see the same players popping up on both sides. But one player that uh, does show up quite a bit is James Robinson, sixty six uh, seventy six hundred on Fanduel, sixty two on DraftKings against Atlanta. Atlanta. Now, Jacksonville is an underdog, but they're playing an Atlanta defense that's bottom five in schedule, just a fantasy points allowed to running backs with teams running at the fourth highest rate in neutral game script against the Falcons. Uh, we've seen seven running backs have at least 13 carries against the Falcons this year. All of those players have went over 15 DraftKings points. So the floor for a player like James Robinson is extremely safe, even though his like his target numbers have fluctuated quite a bit. He's seen games with one target. He's seen games with six targets. So he can be used um, in the short yardage um, uh, area of the field. People are saying that with Jamal Agnew out that we might see LaVisca return to some of that short yardage work. But also, we could see James Robinson get another up, uh, uptick in some of that short yardage work. And the, the workload is as safe as any. After that game in week one where um, Carlos Hyde was like, sharing backfield touches with him in every full game that that robinson has played he went out early and won but in every game that he's finished he's averaging 87 percent of the backfield touches and again even though jacksonville is an underdog here atlanta hasn't won one of their four wins by more than seven points so i don't think we even though jacksonville has been pretty atrocious i don't think we have concerns about or or overly concerned about game script with james robinson even though he's an underdog yeah, I agree. And this is my this is my favorite type of shootout potential Two defenses that shoot themselves in the foot so often <laughs> yeah, that regardless yeah. of the offense's ability, usually uh, it can lead to some extra first downs and that often can lead to more scoring here. So you're going to hear this game again for sure. But as you said, uh, that was a note I had about this slate in general is that salary and our value metric are very, very tightly correlated, even more yeah. correlated this week than usual. That means as salary goes up, so too does their value metric. But that means there's not a lot of discrepancies that we can really point to and say these are the solid values on each site. Right. And and because of that, we will kind of just be picking some games to stick to. And uh, we're going to stay in that game with your wide receiver choice. So I think that it exactly we're going to talk about this game because of the uh, the way that this offense will have to look different without Jamal Agnew. And I kind of look at it as Marvin Jones is the only player left in that receiving core who can kind of step up and be an alpha wide receiver. And I mean, play on the outside consistently. I mean, have an average depth of targets sitting around a, a dozen yards, which is where we usually see our number one wide receiver sit, usually a 12 to 14 range is where number one wideouts are. Mm -hmm. And honestly, this week, you can kind of play any of the wide receiver ones. If you like Keenan Allen, play Keenan Allen. If you like DJ Moore, play DJ Moore. Even Chris Godwin, Jamar Chase, when you look at their value metric compared to salary on 44.com, they're absolutely playable. But I think Marvin Jones is that possible wide receiver one with lower salary because of the change in the in the Jacksonville passing offense. He's in a less necessary salary zone on DraftKings. I think a 4,400 LaVisca Chanel is also viable on that site as well. But Jones is the only player since week six on the team with a 10 plus yard average depth of target, meaning he's the only one running consistent downfield routes. Yeah. Of all the Jacksonville players with 5% or more of the team's air yards that are still active, Marvin Jones has six times the amount of end zone targets as well. So there are certain routes and certain plays that have to go to Marvin Jones in this offense. Yeah. And so I really think from now on, we're going to see Marvin Jones, Dan Arnold, and LaVisca Chenault get ready to command 60% or, or so of the target share. So from there, we're looking at a matchup against Atlanta that we just said we're targeting. They're the fourth worst in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. I think they're kind of forced here to go to Marvin Jones more often. Yeah, yeah we, we've, we've seen... Um... Atlanta struggle against these outside players. I mean, one of the ones they had a lot of trouble with, uh, Jordan Vanek noted in his write-up today, was Mike Gusecki, which was a tight end, but Gusecki plays in the slot and outside a lot where Marvin Jones is going to, to reside himself on the outside. We saw earlier in the year Marvin Jones was um, was getting really significant volume, and, and then the Jaguars just kind of started shaking things up a bunch with Jamal Agnew coming on 
um, and and Laviska not really being the guy that they they thought they might have uh, in terms of just being able to dial up special plays for him. So with Agnew out, I mean, a lot of people are naturally looking to Laviska. Uh, I think I probably like Marvin Jones. Uh, quite a bit more um, in that role, uh, regardless of salary. I just think from a straight up projection standpoint, Jones is in, in a better spot to succeed against the Falcons than LaVisca is. I, I mean, I agree. I think that LaVisca is clearly not in the contention for the number one, the X receiver, as they say, right. in a traditional offense. Right. Yeah, I, Jones is. yeah, I agree. Uh, a traditional number one receiver that's been dominating all year is Debo Samuel, $8,000 on FanDuel, $7,900 on DK. And I, I like Samuel to get back to his um, that more traditional wide receiver role that we're going to see um, with Elijah Mitchell back in the lineup. We've been seeing uh, Debo used a lot uh, in the backfield on jet sweeps and, and whatnot, but they were, they were down Elijah Mitchell, and I think people might naturally kind of look to the target shares and say, oh, with Kittle back and Ayuk coming on, Debo's in trouble. I mean, he's still our top value wide receiver um, on both sites as he's going to be the primary guy against a Minnesota defense that's last in schedule adjusted points allowed to the wide receiver position. Uh, and you're getting this huge discount on Debo compared to the other big name wide receivers on the slate. Uh, he's $700 less than Devontae Adams on FanDuel, $1,500 less than Cooper Cup. And then if we look over on DraftKings, you're actually getting him at a $1,700 discount to Cooper Cup. Um, as I said, I, I think the target share goes back up with Elijah Mitchell back. And Minnesota has limited tight ends uh, compared to wide receivers this year. Um, that, that number you do kind of have to take with a grain of salt because there's only so many good tight ends that you could face. Um, but but I think if we're like flipping a coin and saying who is going to lead the team in targets this week, I think I'd probably put it on Debo. We've already talked about this game quite a bit, liking Jimmy G, liking the efficiency of the 49ers offense recently um, with all of these players on the field. And, and Debo, I like taking the salary discount against some of the more expensive guys on the slate. Yep, for sure. Love Debo. He is the quote-unquote correct answer when you look at our value metric and compare yeah. it to salary. He looks like a smash play. We already talked about the qualities of the high qualities of this game environment. This is a great play. Yeah, the uh your second receiver is a guy that has just been perennial and perennially underpriced uh no matter how much volume he gets. Uh who do you like as your number 2 guy? And the volume is is serious guys yeah i mean the offense as a whole has not been great this year and deontay johnson has just been mr 13 targets all yeah. year do you want 13 targets for your wide receiver at under 7200 on fanduel and under or i guess 6600 on DraftKings? that's great 13 targets exactly in five of his nine games played he's fourth in the nfl in target share and he's getting targeted downfield even by ben roethlisberger's noodle arm 1.7 times yeah. per game so that's really solid if he had better than four tds which probably has to do with the quarterback again he probably would have way more than his 0.48 fantasy points per route run that's wide receiver 22 on the year as it is his 2.2 yards per route run is in the top 24 wideouts as well so he's being hyper efficient on an offense that is anything but on really large volume so now we're just you know, there's no volume concern. So now we're just looking at the matchup where Cincinnati is below average in schedule adjusted fantasy points to opposing offenses. Again, slightly below average or right at average really to the wide receiver position. And he's the only Steelers receiver playing on 85% of the snaps. So obviously we're seeing evolving roles for Pat Fryermuth. Chase Claypool has been in and out of the lineup. The only stability other than Najee Harris, of course, in the backfield is Deontay Johnson. The salary discount, if he was on a strong offense with more touchdown upside, there yeah. is no way his salary is in this zone because the volume has been so good. I noticed that Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth have combined for 47.5% of the red zone targets since Fryermuth entered the lineup. So just let, lets you know what they're thinking as they get by the goal line. Everyone else except for those two are an afterthought. I love Deontay this week. Yeah, and I, I think people um, really struggle with like really understanding touchdown upside because I know there is a lot to dislike about Ben Roethlisberger, and you don't think of the Steelers as a team that are going to have a, a ton of scoring upside, even though we just saw them have uh, score a lot of points against the Chargers last week. But when you are getting as much 
volume as Deontay is in a game. I, I actually think this this also is one of the better game environments. We talked about Tampa Bay, Indian, San Francisco, Minnesota. I think this is right up there with those games uh, where you could you could mini stack it. I don't think you're stacking it with Ben Roethlisberger, but having Deontay and, and Joe Burrow stacks. Um, when you have that type of potential game environment, that type of matchup, and that type of volume, there is touchdown upside. And we're also think we have to think about upside relative to salary, right? Like, yes, he doesn't have the touchdown upside of Devontae or Justin Jefferson, but the touchdown upside with that kind of volume compared to other guys at 6,600 on DraftKings, it's probably just as high. You just don't think about him as a touchdown upside guy. But um, upside is relative to salary as well. So I actually think I. I like his upside um, because of, of just the volume alone. Like you're just naturally going to have more touchdown opportunities. Yeah. And I'm really digging skinny stacks of this game where you can yeah, just play Joe Mixon, Deontay Johnson, or yeah. two of the wide receivers from each of the wide receiver cores. I think there's just a lot of ways you don't even have to have prioritize the quarterbacks. Yeah, it's it's um it's definitely one that that I think the mini stack is probably uh, the way I would lean more. Um, but that game environment up there with the other games we've mentioned, and we've talked about the Tampa Bay Indy game, but haven't uh, honed in on any players from that one. But the guy that really stands out as a huge value in that game is Michael Pittman at sixty six hundred on Fanduel, fifty six hundred on DraftKings uh, against the Buccaneers. You you talked about in your article today that their defense has gotten things a little bit better they haven't been able to um they haven't been getting thrown on as easily as uh they were earlier in the year but still getting thrown on at a very high volume teams are throwing 71 percent of the time in neutral game script against the buccaneers no other defense is facing a neutral passing rate of over 66 percent so teams are throwing against them at like at a crazy high rate. This is the only game on the slate with an over under above 50 points. And prior to the big Jonathan Taylor game last week, Pittman had 12 plus PPR points in four straight game in five of his last six games. Uh, the target share is going to be there in a game where they're probably going to be forced to pace up against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are going to really be attacking Indies weak passing defense. So we should see a lot of back and forth from both of these offenses here. Uh, Michael Pittman's he's the top sub $7,000 value on FanDuel and actually the top sub $7,000 on DraftKings as well. So you're getting a, a really big discount on a guy that uh, his target share had been really skyrocketing. It, it plateaued out a little bit in the last couple yeah. of weeks, but he still has like a, a 30 something percent and like 26% target share um, in two games over the last month. So like the, the insane trajectory slowed down a little bit, but he's still a guy that could easily hit that 25 to 30% target share. Yeah, and I think people, maybe our listeners certainly don't have trouble with this at all, but I think there are people out there who see the game from Michael Pittman, they just look at the box score and they think yeah. that Michael Pittman and the Colts offense maybe did poorly because only Jonathan Taylor showed up. But in reality, yeah. that's a positive thing for the Colts offense, that they're able to have players who can get to 50 points. Yeah. They, they just happened in the scenario that played out last week to all go to one player. Yeah. And while that's yeah. always possible, more likely the fantasy points get spread out in a much yeah. more even way. And so when it does, Pittman has his day. And of course the game environment is is strong. They're gonna have to pass because no one's able to run on Tampa. It, it, let's just say this. If Jonathan Taylor breaks the slate against Tampa's run defense, then Jonathan Taylor is just whatever salary is. We're throwing him in the lineups. He's, he's breaking things. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's stay in that game. And, and we finally mentioned a player in it. You like uh, a tight end in the game. Yeah, yeah. This is my first time to ever talk about Rob Gronkowski. I'm sure he was a staple of the DFS MVP for years. But yeah. I get excited in year one talking about Gronk because he's not a fish play at all. You know, to see him get right back into a big role eight targets against the giants six receptions for 71 yards is really nothing to scoff at at the tight end position at all and we've talked about this before tampa bay is just just light years ahead in team expected fantasy points and team total fantasy points tom brady is able to support a ton of players and sometimes that varies back and forth but like we saw last week sometimes he just lifts everybody up and the touchdowns will be there again don't worry. Indian Indianapolis is terrible against the pass. 
great against the run, which makes them look kind of league average in a lot of metrics. I know in PFF's grade, they're actually top 10 overall, but they're bottom 12 in coverage grade. They're 30th, as in third worst in the NFL, in schedule-adjusted fantasy points specifically to tight ends. So I think there's a vulnerability here, and if anybody is able to find it, it's Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. So I, I think the volume is there. Obviously, the offense is there. It's the highest total game on the slate. The salary is fine on both sites. Yeah, you mentioned the eight targets. Uh, like Gronk's never going to see a um, a massive target share because you got Godwin and and um, and Evans there, and Fournette actually gets quite a bit. Of, has been getting quite a few targets this year too. But Gronk's only played four full games this year, and he has seen eight targets in three of those games. One of those being on just like a, I think it was like fifty nine percent of of snaps last week, and and that had a lot to do with the fact that they they blew the Giants out and pulled their starters. Um, but Gronk is going to get like his i think seven eight targets is pretty much his his floor and and what we should expect from him because tampa bay is going to pass so much um and then like you mentioned is i was wondering if this is like the first time um in dfs history with like dfs still being kind of young that it's been like five years between a player being suggested as a cash game play like, I don't know if he's been right, right. Yeah. Longest, <laughs> longest stretch of games without being rec- between recommendations. Congratulations, yeah. Gronk. Yeah. Welcome back, buddy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, he's so he's so cheap, sixty five hundred Fanduel, forty four hundred DraftKings. That uh, he really stands out as the value play this week. And because we don't really have a lot of value plays, and we mentioned like. Kittle, it's it's hard to get to Kittle on this slate just because of the way pricing works. So he's obviously a good standalone play, but really in these weeks where the the values are pretty much none, it's just like we might as well punt the position, especially on DraftKings where that just is what we do in cash games when we are in these situations. Um, I'm looking all the way down at Anthony Ferkser, $4,800 Fandle, $2,700 on DraftKings um, against New England. I mean... Tennessee, they're without A.J. Brown. They're without Julio Jones. They were in a similar situation last week where Julio was out and A.J. was in and out, had a hand injury, and then this chest injury that's putting him um, on IR now. And in that game, Ferkser had a season-high seven targets. Uh, where This isn't going to be a play that is a, a high um, – medium projection play we don't know if he can replicate those seven targets but now with those guys out the target share is wide open and and they're rolling out a uh, a trio or a duo of receivers i don't know what kind of offense they're going to run but guys that don't have a lot of experience we've seen nick westbrook at kna be in a similar spot where we thought he was going to be a big target guy and didn't do that even though he did have a nice target number last week uh there's nobody that we're just like for sure going to slot in for the most targets um in the game so i i think it's it is worth punting and hoping that Ferkser can maintain that seven target number that he saw last week. And this is the biggest spread on the slate in favor of New England. Even, and I mean, especially from a fantasy perspective, I know we just like look at all the offensive players and, and automatically think that this can't be a close game. I think ten, like uh, uh, an upset is in the range of outcomes for Tennessee. Um, they've been a really good team against the run, a, a good defense against the run. And th- that is what New England wants to do. New England running at one of the highest rates in neutral game script. And if the Titans can slow down that running game for the Patriots, they've also have a very high pressure rate, top 10 in adjusted sack great so if they could force mac jones to throw a little bit more and put pressure on him i think this game can be a lot closer than people think and if that's the case good game script does favor tight end um so i i i think there might be fantasy value on the tennessee side of the ball um just because we are getting a a lot of cheap players in a very ambiguous situation i know the matchup isn't ideal um but i'm, I'm okay punting for this week yeah, it's a fine play. And honestly, if you want to game stack anyone, if that fits with your salary, that just adds positive correlation. We've said it before about the tight end position, in, especially yeah. in weeks where there aren't a lot of value. Just add it to your quarterback stack or in a mini stack mm-hmm. with someone else in your lineup. That's just fine. And I'm glad you said something about that game spread because we actually saw some really weird line movement. I'm noticing that on the 17th, uh, obviously more than a week ago, this spread was at minus three. So does mm-hmm. the AJ Brown news really change things? You know, then it shoots to minus six and yeah. then moves steadily down. Now it's at minus seven and a half. 
I think this game could be a lot closer than that, even with A.J. Brown out. Obviously, we have some uncertainty related to the ten, really the Tennessee offense. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen here, but I think there's, there could be some value there. So Ferks is definitely a good one to look at. Yeah, uh, let's move on to defense. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm looking at the Philadelphia Eagles right now, and I know we're not going to get a defensive touchdown from Darius Slay every <laughs> single week. Uh, but they're right at league average and schedule adjusted fantasy points really across the board and to opposing offenses in general. And then I look at the Giants offense being bottom 10 in the NFL in yards per carry, bottom 10 in yards per pass attempt, bottom 10 in points scored per play. And then our projections on four for four are really rosy for the Eagles. So they're obviously looking at some of the similar metrics. I am the third highest projection overall in week 12 the third lowest projected yards allowed and the tied for the first in projected turnovers. Now I know that can always be variable week to week, but this team has shown that it is very turnover happy and in EPA per play, they continue to move up the board right now. They're actually 10th in the NFL in defensive EPA allowed. That's really solid for a team that I didn't even know really had that in them. So against the Giants kind of anemic offense, I know Saquon Barkley's getting healthier, but they got no one in that receiving no. core. Shepard's leaning towards out. Tony's leaning towards being out. So I think the Eagles defense could have their way against the Giants. Yeah, I was actually talking about um, this game on the Yahoo podcast because I think that this is a game where Philadelphia not only controls, but in a week where we don't have any really big spreads besides you, you talked about um, us thinking that New England game might be kind of a bad line. I think this could be the game that is the blowout of the week. I mean, New York's just in disarray. Their offensive line has been playing horribly. Now they're switching play callers, so who knows how that translates to um, to what their offense looks like. I mean, I don't know if, if, if it's an upgrade or a downgrade um, from Garrett, but it's it's going to be a change, and, and they're struggling, and, and Eagles are a team that uh, – they could control the ball and really uh, just maintain the control of that game in a way that forces the Giants into a, a situation that I don't think they want to be in, and that's making Daniel Jones drop back 40-something times. Uh, so I think the Eagles are in a fantastic smash spot. I actually think building games around the idea of an Eagles blowout is one gate one way to really just capture a, um, a game flow that can put you ahead in um in tournaments this week hey what do you think of this stack jalen hurts and the eagles defense yeah that yeah that's kind of what i was like because a lot of people are going to be like miles sanders is going to be a popular play just because again it's it's a week slate um for for the position and there isn't a lot of value so especially on on DraftKings, where you can save a lot of salary with him down there i think a lot of people are going to be looking to play him and i don't know if they're really going to play a lot of other players from this game like i think jalen because he's been so consistent with his points he'll, he'll get some ownership but like quarterbacks just we're not going to see a quarterback in like more than 15 percent of lineups this week so if you compare it to like a, i don't know a 20 percent on miles sanders the defense with jalen hurts is I, I think is is really really interesting yeah i really like it um we we don't have like the again i, I mentioned uh, that salaries are, are really different on the two sites this week. And there are a lot of punt plays on, on DraftKings at, at defense, a lot of very viable punt plays. Um, a team like the Texans, they're really priced up on FanDuel. So we, we don't have like a very clear pay down option. So when we're in these situations, I'll, often I'll just say like, who is the cheapest favorite? Um, and if they have any type of upside, regardless of their good defense or not, a lot of times that's the best way to pay down. And the Falcons kind of fit that bill this week at 3,800 on FanDuel, 2,500 on DraftKings as two-point favorites um, against the Jaguars. I mean, there there isn't much in terms of, of the Falcons' defense. You're not going to see any metrics. They don't put pressure on the quarterback very well. But they are favored, and Jacksonville is a team that we see. They, they can just completely implode like they did last week against the 49ers. They allow the fifth most schedule adjusted points to opposing defenses because of performances like that. And, and we kind of talked about, like, the ambiguity of their situation when when that takes place on a bad team it just could mean that that like nothing goes well for the media even if we do like uh, marvin jones and james robinson i i think there is also a, a range of outcomes where 
they are underdogs against a bad Falcons team because they're bad as well. Um, so I'm just taking a, a, a flyer on a cheap favorite. Um, and, and it's really just about trying to save salary on a very thin value slate. Uh, yeah. Rookie quarterback still hasn't shown his ability. Coach might be a donkey. No wide receiver options. <laughs> yeah. Marvin Jones, it could be dust. As much as we yeah. want him to be a thing, he looks like the only one who could be a thing. He could just not have it in him. Uh, is he 32 or 33? He's up there. So yeah, it's it, this could this could be bad even against a bad Falcons defense. I totally get this play. Yeah, it's uh it's probably the like the widest range of outcomes games. I always have trouble with these like bad team versus bad team games because they like they're they're bad because they're bad on both sides of the ball. It could be a nine to six game. It could be a a 35 to 30 game. Um, so I mean I, I think if I think if you want to play it, you could play it either way. You could play it from the defensive side or you could play it from a stacking side and, and you could justify it on, on both sides. Yeah. I, I, again, and also it's so site specific too. So right. it, it really varies. Just yeah. check your salaries. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Before, um, before we get into the theory segment today, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season. It's underdog fantasy and their brand new pick'em game. Just pick the over or the under on your favorite or your least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Just pick between two and five players, and you can take home some cold, hard cash. Head to 444.com slash underdog. Claim your free 444 Pro subscription and get $10 in bonus cash to play this weekend on Underdog. All right, let's get into um, the theory segment this week. And we titled it Deciphering Signal Versus Noise. Um, and it's kind of just a discussion on understanding how to parse out all of the information that we get in fantasy football. And, and we've talked about this in different respects throughout the season, talking about very early, I think our first or second podcast of the year, uh, we, we touched on like, what are the most relevant stats to follow? Um, and, and just understanding how we can, um, properly interpret sample sizes. And I think it's an important thing to talk about at this point of the year because we're a little past the halfway point where we have this with pretty big sample of games that we could draw from but now we kind of get into like what is the proper way to be just we have so much information we've had coach turnover we've had player turnover roster turnover um and it's like how do we figure out what the relevant data is or, or what the things that we should be looking to are um and and we call it like signal versus noise a lot so let's talk about just from a a pure DFS perspective, the things that we use as our biggest indicators are, are pricing and ownership. So how we use that to decipher what we should be looking at in a given week on a slate. Sure. And remember, guys, there isn't one answer to how do you decipher signal from noise? If it yeah. was that easy to filter it all out, we would all be billionaires in DFS. Mm. But ultimately, <laughs> we're all looking as in all the DFS players, we're all looking at the same season long stats. Mm -hmm. And trends don't look like trends in the beginning they look right. like anomalies so how do we identify these anomalies as they occur during the season and how do we see them before they become trends so we can ride those trends to victory that's ultimately what we're doing here yeah. so pricing and ownership are our guide to that and so they're still based they're a lot better than they used to be i will say mm -hmm. this but they're still based significantly on single game sample sizes and single game scores are swayed a lot by touchdowns and yeah. we know that touchdown variance is a huge is huge from week to week it, we know that it's hard to predict so fading one game scoring samples is still our biggest edge in dfs and when ownership coalesces around players who scored a lot pricing will move as well. One thing I have noticed is that if no one plays a player, even if they are starting to trend in the upward direction, salary will stay down yeah. for these sites. But ultimately, people, and I mean just the general DFS player community, go to players who have scored a lot recently. And one thing we can look for is players whose opportunity has been in the same range as those players who scored a lot and play those players. That's the whole point behind the breakout yeah. receiver model. So if you take away that first macro point, pricing and ownership still based significantly on one game sample sizes. And if we can look at correct sample sizes, we can almost always get, gain an edge on the field. 
Yeah, the, the pricing algorithms have gotten a lot sharper um, in in getting away from that a little bit. Um, we still do see some wild fluctuations, especially early in the season, um, based on performance. But that one-game sample size is especially important to note when we're talking about things like GPPs and ownership and just understanding what the public is undervaluing and overvaluing. A lot of times they're really overvaluing, like you said, just those raw fantasy points, the highlight plays, the big plays. And we're going to see – and we see the bit usually – the bigger fluctuations in ownership than we do in pricing. I mean, you'll see a player easily goes for we, the the community's been really good about not like going overboard on on super chalky players. Like people understand that you want to be contrarian, but you still see a fluctuation from a, a player that whose role hasn't changed go from a twenty five percent play to a five percent play, and a lot of that is based on things like matchup. And I think matchup is probably, especially in tournaments, like we're splitting hairs in cash games because we're looking for our, our highest floor. In tournaments, it's almost easier to to like make these decision points because while we might have a similar projection, maybe a similar matchup or a tougher matchup, we get huge gaps in ownership. Um, and we saw it just last week with the biggest slate break of the, of the year in, in Jonathan Taylor. And it was simply because he was playing against the Bills as an underdog, but he was still as much workload as any running back or in the league. Um, the touches are there. And that's always like, it's, it's pretty consistent where, throughout dfs no matter how good uh we get there's only so many people in the community that are really hardcore dfs that are understanding these things and the public is still going to be the 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 vast majority of players that aren't full-time players they're the ones that are really going to be controlling this ownership right you're just not going to get 30% of the field to ever play Jonathan Taylor in that spot. It's just never going to happen. So that's where, where you really get the value on these one game samples. And then going back to your point about understanding um, salary trends and how they work. It's not just like looking at it on a weekly level. I think one thing that is important to do is tracking prices throughout the season, salaries throughout the season to look for these inefficiencies um, players that just aren't properly valued sure you can do a salary relative to point projection we're always gonna have that dollar per point projection but how are these players supposed to be valued in terms of what they provide as a player and we're seeing it like in action this week christian mccaffrey uh fourth game back from injury but and he's he's been doing good but not great and he's still priced well below his salary ceiling like we've seen him all the way up at 10k on Fanduel. he's still 900 below his highest point of uh salary this year on DraftKings. and where do we think he's appropriate appropriately priced like next to other running backs or way higher than other running backs when it's appropriate it's probably way higher than any other running backs a player like cmc it should always be really hard to decide if he's worth a thousand dollars more than the next guy, not if he's worth a hundred dollars less than Jonathan Taylor. Um, same thing with like Devonte Adams on on Yahoo this week. He's priced at his lowest salary of the season after having his, like basically his biggest game of the year. He's like down eight dollars from his highest point. That's just a major red flag inefficiency that if people are just looking at dollar per point might not stand out to them. And on the other side, a player like Cam Newton, you mentioned the one game sample. He starts one game, uh, obviously does very well, but his price kind of skyrockets on Fanduel, and now he's priced up kind of close to some of these other guys, and isn't just like a smash. He's a value still, um, but but his 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 salary does go up quite a bit. Yeah, I I I see it all the time where players blow up, and the opportunity hasn't changed at all. That's mm -hmm. why I think that when you compare salary to value, you actually can get the ceiling projection built in, the matchup built in. So all of those factors right. that we're trying to mix in to the just the simple projection, the value metric on 4for4.com does better, really, if you're looking for one number that encapsulate, encapsulates everything and that you want to compare directly to salary, I honestly think there isn't a better metric than the 4for4 four four value. Yeah, and we we talk about like not double candy, right? And going back to JT, like even though the tough matchup was in there, like... John Paulson isn't ignoring the matchup. Like he's still, he's giving him a point <laughs> projection based on the matchup. And then he's still a great value. So like when you're, when you're fading him, when he is 5% or 2%, whatever it was, 
in a game where his projection was still fine, that's double counting. People are like his 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 matchups already accounted for in almost any every projection model you're looking at. Um, but then when his he's five percent versus thirty percent running backs, that's that's a huge double counting error. Um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, away from DFS and just kind of a, a fantasy, a general fantasy point, um, how we're understanding. And you talked about the one game sample sizes, how we should be understanding like what we should be looking at in terms of sample sizes for, um, for positions and for fantasy points. Well, let me caveat what I'm about to tell people by saying there are obviously statistically fancier ways of doing this than I'm about to suggest. Yeah. But if we begin to use rolling averages for players, over a course, uh, a set course of games, we are going to get a lot closer to mm -hmm. their to their expected output or their expected right. fantasy points. If you look at that, uh, than you are by just looking at one game sample sizes. And we've actually done all the data based dirty work in our DFS playbook series. You can actually see what the optimal sample size is to look at for each position. And there is a little bit of noise in that. I bet if we reran the model year after year, we would see slightly different numbers. So there, is yeah. an exact, there isn't an exact science to this. But if we get generally correct, directionally correct, and look at, say, a five-game sample for quarterbacks, that's going to be a lot better than the people who are going to be looking at the whole season trends for quarterbacks. You are going to have an edge there. So... Ultimately, I think sometimes we want to look at the one game sample to understand changes. But ultimately, yeah. when we see trends over a course of rolling averages in both usage, opportunity, and in production, we are going to be finding things faster than the public who is still using season averages. Yeah, it, it's probably a, a tough thing to, especially if you um, if you're relatively new to to DFS or 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 fantasy football research in general. If if you're trying to like dive into this a little bit deeper, um, you probably hear sample size, sample size, sample size, and and you want to think, well, um, how how can a shorter sample not be more noisy? And it's just because we have these things like um, we have changes in personnel. Um, we have on on both sides of the ball and and variance in what a matchup might look like which is why on something like our, our schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed model at four for four we do use like you said a rolling 10 week average so that we're not overweighting this game from week one where teams were insanely different maybe they gave up a big game to a position way back then but that doesn't that gets less and less relevant as we get later into the season so we use a rolling average for something like that and you mentioned positionally, um, we have found these optimal numbers for if we're just looking at fantasy points per game. Obviously, that's the number we're chasing. But a one game, uh, a one game sample can be heavily weighted by just a single touchdown in any position. What we found is, in general, quarterback is usually the sweet spot is around that five game sample. Running back is around that three game sample. Wide receiver, the bigger sample we get, the better because they are just a, a, a very high. Um, high, high variance, low volume position, and then tight end, like a three plus game sample is, is when it, the the uh, fantasy points per game number starts to get the most predictive. But again, it's just a, a function of looking for not using that as a baseline, using those numbers as a baseline, but understanding that we do have big changes in personnel and groupies and coaches. So like the 49ers, as example, who we talked about at the top of this podcast, when we have Jimmy G now with Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo all playing well, that's probably the relevant data we want to look at. Like Jimmy G isn't going to lead the league in passing efficiency. That's not the point. That's not what we're trying to extract from that data. What we're trying to understand is that Jimmy G can be very efficient with this trio. Now we should like if I'm looking at 49ers offensive data, I'm going to be looking at from week nine on. Like I don't really care about anything that's happened before because that's just not the same team at all. And and we'll get a little better understanding now this week with Elijah Mitchell there. But just from an efficiency standpoint, we want to be tracking those things and 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 that kind of those numbers kind of naturally fit into the data that we've lined we've we've laid out in the DFS MVP because sure we won't know after one week, but three or four weeks that data becomes very very strong. And we do want to mention, too, that we're using these rolling averages as baselines, right? Because mm -hmm. DFS is about a game of right. range of outcomes. So if we have a correct baseline, 
then we can adjust and we say, okay, this is the appropriate ceiling projection. This is the yeah. appropriate floor projection based on this new change in personnel. And obviously the DFS pass from four for four is going to do a lot of that hard work for you. But this is just a little view behind the curtain, how we figure all of that out for you guys. It's using those relevant sample sizes to create strong baselines. Yeah, and we we talk about there aren't there. It's it's really hard to find an edge in, in fantasy football from from a research perspective. Um, I I think there are edges in research here um, because it's very easy to click on almost any data provider, any like widely available um, uh, stat provider is going to have season long numbers, and anybody that is doing any type of content can say. This team's allowed the most points to quarterbacks this year. That's easy to look up. Um, to parse down this information, to find these uh, the these samples, it's not that people don't know how to do them, but it takes a lot more work. And if you are are getting content or getting analysis that isn't focusing on things like this, you are going to be missing the mark on some things. Now, obviously, there are a ton of people that do this correctly, but there's also a lot of information out there that isn't taking into these things into account. And then there, and then on the other side, there are um, there's content that just goes way too far with it, right? There's so many of these fancy stats that sound good and, and that you can use to prove your point, but are they actually translating to fantasy production? That's a whole nother thing. So by, again, going back to this this thing of, of not double counting and understand what we've laid out in something like the DFS playbook, um, that is how we can start to separate like these, these signal um, from the noise. Now, when we go beyond just the data and I, I think there there is always context to data and we need to understand how to um how to like talk about what's what's probably going to happen what data we can take as something that is indicative of a trend that can come down to some more um like obscure or like opaque things such as coach interviews and, and whatnot so how are we looking into signal versus noise when we're trying to figure out like what the change in an offensive coordinator or a play caller that's a big one when we're seeing with the giants um this week how, how yeah. do we account for things like that so i what you just talked about is so important and it leads directly into the idea of coach speak because we can use fancy math we can use fancy statistics to get us part of the way but elite domain knowledge and i mean about the nfl and the whole game of the nfl media and the game on the field plus statistically sound practices can still help create an edge mm -hmm. in DFS. Yeah. And so what we need to be able to do as we develop that domain knowledge about the NFL and the little nuanced things that happened over and over again in the course of a season and over the course of many seasons are these little actions that teams have or big actions sometimes that speak louder than their words because coaches mm -hmm. are asked silly questions after every single practice yeah. and every single game and they are forced to come up with an answer and most of those answers mean nothing they are the definition of noise right. but there are actions throughout a week that we can see as signal for sure particularly in injury situations when they call up a running back from the practice squad the day before even though we don't know the inactive status of that running back one, that is often a signal that the team is preparing for a change yeah. in running back yeah. personnel. That's, an, that's a signal. Always draft picks and trades are a signal of a team displaying what its needs are. They cannot lie about what they believe their needs are unless they, <laughs> then they wouldn't trade for that player. Right. So that is always signal. And, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about with relevant sample sizes, but increased snap share and target share that hasn't necessarily resulted in increased production share is a huge signal. And that is the basis behind our breakout receiver model. We are looking for players who have already gotten the opportunity necessary for production, but just haven't seen that production yet. But when you see that increase in opportunity and then in the post game presser the coach talks about the the need to continue to do that that's when i really perk up because then we have action and then a coach confirming that action as not a mistake not right. an accident those were the reads on those plays so 
Uh, this is a very, very silly example, but it's one that, that comes to mind all the time is in Tariq Cohen's rookie year, I believe he had eight or nine targets his very first game of the season, and he was this undrafted guy, and they came out at the end of the game and they said, he's something special, isn't he? They were clearly holding him back, and they didn't want him to be known as a part of the game plan. Yeah. Tariq Cohen is obviously a thing then for that version yeah. of the Chicago Bears. So when we hear things like that after an eight target game, that's when it's it's really all systems go. And you can try to make a decision before that typical three to five game sample size that we're looking for. Yeah, and I think that's where um, the, the preparation in terms of understanding the, the – this is where you could tie in the data with the coach speak. Understanding all of the things that we referenced previously, the the volume or the type of usage that actually does matter, the type of things that does, act, that does translate to fantasy scoring, if they are getting increased usage in um, – in that way, then that is something very important. Like it's very easy for a coach to say, yeah, we're going to use this guy more and, and he's a valuable part of our team. But does that mean he is going to be a valuable fantasy asset? If that, like, that's a vague statement that said, we're going to use this guy more. He's very important to our team. I mean, for someone like a tight end, that could be a tight, his, his snap share might go from 25% to 75%. But if, if those, if 95% of those are for blocking uh, plays, like what does that matter to us? And, and I, I do think it is one that, that it probably is like the biggest wedge between um, people that do what we do and people that listen to, to what we do, because probably one of the most common comments that I'll get, especially if I'm like on Twitter or something when, when I'm, when I'm tweeting out something that I think is like a, a, a relevant data point coming up, I get so many responses that are like, Oh, well the coach said X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, that is fine. But like, I have this like hard four week data that says like, this is what they're doing, you know? And, and, and a lot of times they're like, they are like these, just these sound bites that, that are easy to hang on to. And, 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 coaches are doing this or, or whoever players they're giving these interviews like every day at the every week all season probably at times where they don't want to be doing it there's like they're humans right there's a good amount of time where they're just like they're just saying words to get the interview over with and I, it's probably not a lot but there are those times where they're just like they're talking right just just say answering the question just for the sake of answering the question um one, one thing that i i do think probably does hold some weight and one thing that I, I will pay attention to when it comes to something like getting signal from noise versus coach speak it's very often that a coach will either um be be encouraging or at the very least be vague about a, a, a player it's just not a, a situation where um you don't see too many professional coaches talk down about a professional athlete. It just isn't good. Even if, if they know they can talk to the player that way, it's just not even worth the media storm, right? When we hear a coach say something negative about a player, I'm very, way more likely to hang on to those words because to say something bad about a player um, means that they're going to have a very strong feeling about that and and they're willing to take on like the heat of that. And we saw it like very early in the year with Brandon Ayuk, right? It took a very long time for him to get back in the mix. Shanahan wasn't shy about saying that, that he wasn't coming on like they expected. You just don't hear a lot of harsh negative comments about players when we do. I think that is a, that's often going to be a lot more signal than just like some, uh, some words they said in passing. That's a that's a great point. Ronald Jones as well. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. will say Bruce Arians is one where you yeah, got, Bruce you Arians have to will go hard. He'll go hard. <laughs> Bruce will go hard. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, so I mean, let's just kind of wrap it up by by kind of talking about um a, a little bit of what we just covered, but um just talking about how things can can alter based on not just coach speaking, not the data, but how they can all alter week to week. Um from contest or from just like a, a, not a coaching change, but like a new role for a player. Yeah, I think all of these rules that we come in, come up with here are really heuristics. They're guides right. yeah. for trying to discern things. There are real no hard and fast rules. And remember, DFS is about leaning into uncertainty and being able to play lineups that others aren't, uh, they're too scared to play. They aren't yeah. able to play because it doesn't feel right for whatever reason. So I will admit that I will lean into things that I think are noise right. based on contest to see if they might be signal and I'm wrong because yeah. there could be an unknown upside from the benefit of being wrong and it actually being signal. 
I think one of the situations we talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars offense, no one really saw Jamal Agnew stepping up for DJ Chark in the absence of DJ Chark, but he clearly had a role defined for him early on. And if you were able to ride that trend and see that before it was a thing, really, those are the kinds of situations where after one game, I might Mm -hmm. look at that stat and say, I think that's noise. I can't trust that. But in a GPP, it's low owned. There's no, there's no salary change and there's no ownership change. I'll lean to it. I'll lean into it and I'll treat it as if it's signal in a cash game. I won't be ready to treat it as signal. It's still noise. So it's still a tournament play, but that's the kind of variable thinking I can do with signal versus noise thought. I'm not going to be right all the time. And I want to have asymmetric upside when I'm wrong. And it is actually signal. Yeah, that's actually a, a really good point is like the, the variability and understanding how we should be using these samples. I think it's a really good point to end on. Um, and it could be something as simple. You talked about using heuristics to make these decisions and not be like trying to get lost in, in what it means and what it doesn't. And I think a really good heuristic to uh, lean on when it comes to something like that is if there is a, a one game sample that we're trying to decipher if it's signal or noise, if the public is leaning heavily on that one game sample, then we could avoid it. If the public is ignoring that one game sample, then we can lean on it. Um, a really good example happened just on, on the Thanksgiving slate. We saw Josh Reynolds um, have a huge snap share, lots of air yards, only three targets. Nobody was playing him. We have a huge sample of him not being very fantasy relevant this year. Since nobody's paying attention to it, it's re- worth throwing a dart. Um, he gets there early on a big play uh, and, and it works out. Um, you know, if if everybody was talking that up and we think he's going to be 20% after only seeing three targets, probably not worth it. And if he gets there, you're um, you're, you're willing to fade it. Yep, 100%. <laughs> Ownership matters in DFS. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Well, uh, late show uh, this week. We'll be back um, Monday with the cash game review. If you're Enjoying us uh, on the YouTube. Please make sure you are getting the podcast as well. In case you missed the live show um, on all major podcast networks. If you're listening to the audio, please come check out the live show on YouTube. Please rate and review on iTunes while you're there. And if you're on here, uh, if you're here on YouTube, please like and subscribe the 4 for 4 channel. Just a reminder, Black Friday through Cyber Monday deal access to all 4 for 4 um, content available for as little as $4.44. The DFS plan is available for just $14. Our other live shows, as I mentioned, the Cash Game Review, 2 p.m. Eastern time every Monday on YouTube. Yahoo DFS with Yahoo's Matt Harmon comes out every Saturday on both the DFS MVP and the Yahoo podcast feeds. Every Sunday morning, the GPP Last Look Show with Jordan Vanek at 11 a.m. Eastern Time in the subscriber-only Discord. Sign up for that in the description. And please follow us on Twitter. 4 for 4 is at 4 for 4 Football. Matt is at Draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys on Monday.